we'll see y'all after a while. See you, Mason. Today we're looking at one of the, the great men of the Old Testament, uh, a man named Daniel. The first time we read about Daniel in the, in the Old Testament, he is a teenage boy. He has been taken captive into Babylon from his, his home in Jerusalem, he and the rest of the, the Jews that lived in Jerusalem. But even under these circumstances, we see that that he is faithfully serving the Lord, and he is taking a stand for what he knows to be right. A few years later in Daniel chapter 2, we see that as a, a young man, he is still faithfully serving the Lord. He shows up again in chapter, chapter 4 as a middle-aged man, and again, at this point, he is called on to interpret a dream for a troubled king. In spite of the situation that he finds himself in, an exile from Jerusalem, an exile from his homeland, a slave in a foreign land, Daniel is being faithful. Once again in chapter 5, we see Daniel standing for God and being faithful. In the scripture text we're reading today, we see that now Daniel is a man in his 80s. He has been in Babylon for over 70 years. And although he is technically a slave, he had not veered from the course that he started on as a young man, one of being faithful and of serving God. Daniel was never wildly popular in Babylon. He wasn't a superhero wasn't a big shot as far as most people were concerned. And although he was continually being promoted through the ranks of government, eventually arriving at the position of, of prime minister, he was still a Jew, and the Jews were in captivity in Babylon. They were slaves, basically. King Darius or Darius, whichever way you want to say it, it would be okay. We're going to say Darius today had after 70 years of captivity allowed the Jews to start returning back to Israel to rebuild their temple. Here's something I want us to see. In spite of the freedom that they had to return back to Jerusalem, most of the exiles chose to stay in Babylon because they had adapted to the customs and the lifestyle of the Babylon people, Babylonian people. It's interesting to also note that the Jews had adapted quite well to the Babylonian lifestyle. After all of these years of being around and being influenced by God's people, the bad part is there had been no great revival in Babylon. The people of Babylon were pretty much unchanged as a result of being around the Jews. On the other hand, the Jews had become quite comfortable with the lifestyle of the Babylonians. It seems that very few people took notice or were really impressed with Daniel and the stand that he had taken for God. In fact, it seems that his faithfulness to God 
drew the hatred and jealousy of his peers, and eventually it brought about a plot against his, own, his life. But through it all, Daniel continued on, and he remained faithful. He remained steady in spite of everything that was happening around him. If you're taking notes today, this sermon is titled, Daniel, A Lesson in Faithfulness. If you're not taking notes today, it's still titled, Daniel, A Lesson in Faithfulness. I want us to realize today that bad things can and will happen to good people. Bad things can and will happen to those who live for God. But I also want us to know without a doubt that it is possible to be faithful in spite of circumstances and in spite of what others around us are doing. I want to look at some of the details of Daniel's life that teach us about this great man of faith. The first thing I want to see about Daniel that makes him such a great man was Daniel's character. Excuse me, man, my eyes are blurry. Contacts. Daniel's character. Daniel's chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, tells us that Darius, the king, had appointed 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. These men helped to ensure that, that Darius and his kingdom were protected from theft, tax evasion, military revolts, and just a whole lot of other things. Apparently, they, they, they ruled over a certain province of the kingdom, kind of like what we would know as a governor. So you had the president up here, and these guys were like the governors of the states. Over these 120 men who served as administrators, and then over that, there were three men out of the 120 that served as administrators, and then over them was Daniel. And what is amazing here is that Daniel is still a slave, and yet he's been faithful to God, and God has blessed Daniel's faithfulness, causing him to find favor with the pagan king that he served. After 70 years of service, this former slave has become prime minister of the most powerful government in the entire world. What could go wrong, right? God always honors faithful service. He might not ever promote you in the eyes of men, but be assured God sees everything that you do for him. He keeps perfect records, and one day you will be rewarded accordingly. Revelation 22:12 says this, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. And that's great that we have that to look forward to. But even now, being faithful to God is something that should thrill our soul. As David wrote in Psalm 40, chapter 40, verse 8, while we are still here on this earth, our desire should be to do his will. I desire to do your will, O God. In verses 4 through 9, we read that Daniel had a problem. Actually, it was, it was those around him who had the problem, but it, it would turn into Daniel's problem. It seems that the other rulers of the kingdom were jealous of Daniel, and they sought to destroy him. After all, he was a Hebrew, a Jew. He was a slave, and they were Babylonians. They were way up here in importance, and Daniel, in their eyes, was down here. They felt they shouldn't have to answer to someone like Daniel. So they played to the vanity of the king. Verse 4 tells us that they tried to find grounds to bring charges against Daniel, but they were unable to do so. 
It goes on to say that they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They looked and they looked and they looked to find something wrong with Daniel, and they could find nothing. And since they couldn't find anything real, they decided to make something up. So they devised a plan to get King Darius to make a law that no one could pray to any god or even make a request to any person except him. And the king liked the sound of that. After all, it put him at the center of everyone's thoughts and attention. Nobody could do anything unless it went through him. And if you think about it, the law was utterly absurd. But in spite of that, Darius signed it because it fed his pride and it fed his ego. So now their problem was becoming Daniel's. It was Daniel's problem because he had been faithful to the Lord. And the unbelievers around him knew that and they hated him for it. They despised him because he was different. He was honest and he was real. Daniel was everything they were not willing to be. And they hated him because of it, so they devised a plan to get rid of him. I will tell you that if you're going to live for the Lord, there will probably be some people around you who are not going to like it. Many times those people will look for ways to attack those who are faithful to the Lord. The Apostle Paul warned us that persecution would follow the faithful. Look at 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It's pretty straightforward. And the truth is, even if people hate us, fight us, try to silence us, we must determine in our hearts that we will be like Daniel and remain faithful. Let me throw this in. Every time we suffer a setback or things go wrong in our life, doesn't mean it's persecution. Sometimes these things happen because we aren't listening to God or we're repeatedly making terrible decisions and refuse to listen to wise counsel. Don't make yourself out to be a martyr because of the things you've done to yourself. And we'll move on. But here's why I said that. We read in verses 3 and 4 in in chapter 6 that Darius promoted Daniel because he possessed exceptional qualities, that he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. See, Daniel had something in him that had set him apart from everyone else around him, and because of that, When the other other governors of the kingdom tried to find some deficiency in Daniel to make him look bad, they couldn't find anything in his life at all. There were no skeletons in Daniel's closet. There was nothing hidden in his life. He was an open book. He was faithful, and he was faultless. And that was his testimony among his detractors, that they could find nothing wrong in his life. And when they could find no secrets or sin in his life that they could exploit, they took the only recourse they had, and that was just to make stuff up. They knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. So they persuaded Darius to outlaw prayer for 30 days. And here's why that was a big deal. They knew Daniel was going to pray anyway. 
So they saw their opportunity to have Daniel executed because of praying. That's what they were counting on because Daniel was faithful to his God. They weren't disappointed. So the first thing that stands out in this passage is Daniel's character. The next thing I want us to look at is Daniel's choices. When the king signed a decree that no one could pray, Daniel was faced with a choice. He could remain faithful to the Lord or he could bow to the vanity of the king. Watching Daniel face this crisis in life, you get the impression that for him, it wasn't a crisis at all. Daniel simply did what he had always done. He remained faithful to the Lord. Let's read what Daniel did in reaction to this decree. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Remember that, just as he had done before. Notice how Daniel faced the challenge before him and take notice of the choices that he made. He chose obedience to God over opportunities in the world. Daniel did not all of a sudden open his windows to draw attention to himself and pray. I believe the windows were already open. When he walked in the door that day after he heard the decree, he just had to walk over to the windows and do what all, he always did anyway, and that was pray. It was the Lord's will for Daniel to be faithful. That's what he did. It's also important to notice that he didn't walk in the room and close the windows so that no one could hear him pray. This is how I've always prayed. I've always prayed with the windows open, and now the king says he's going to kill me if I do it. I'm not changing a thing. I'm just going to keep praying with the windows open. Let's look more closely at some of the choices that Daniel made. He chose faithfulness to God over the favor of a king. For Daniel, the decree that Darius wrote, it meant nothing to him. He simply went to the Lord and he prayed and gave thanks three times a day, just like he had always done. He remained faithful in spite of the will of human king. A lot of folks would have said, well, I, I know he said that, and I know I've been praying three times a day. I think what I'll do is I'll get up like at 4 o'clock in the morning before anybody else is up. And then I'll get out there and I just won't say it very loud. I don't think that's what Daniel did. I think whatever time he normally prayed, he got out there with the windows open, he used the same voice he always used, and he prayed. He had nothing to hide. He chose devotion to God over the decree of a king. The decree was for 30 days. And for many folks, they could have simply just said, well, for 30 days I won't pray. That's no big deal. Not Daniel. His faith in the Lord would not allow him to be anything less than what the Lord wanted him to be, even for 30 days. Yeah, but pastor, what would have been the big deal? I'll ask you, what would have been the big deal? It was a big deal because everyone knew that's what Daniel did. And if he decided not to do it because of a decree, then what he was saying is, I am going to listen to man and not to God. So it was a big deal. Don't anybody get any ideas? I'm going to cover that in a minute. He chose to bow to God over bowing before his enemies. The desire of Daniel's enemies was to destroy him, to bring him down. And I would imagine that they would have left him alone 
if he would have adopted the ways and the religion of the Babylonians. But Daniel refused to bow to their will. Instead, he chose to remain faithful to God. Next, he chose a faithful testimony over fleeting treasures. For Daniel, prayer was far more important than popularity. He would rather be found faithful than to enjoy the power, the prosperity, popularity, and the wealth that could have been his had he just compromised. He chose commitment over compromise. Consider for a moment the excuses that Daniel could have made for not praying. I'm 80 years old. God, I've been faithful for all this time. 30 days ain't going to kill anybody. I'm 80. He was the prime minister of Babylon. So he was really busy. God, I'm really busy. I don't have time to pray for 30 days, three times a day. And yet Daniel didn't make excuses. He remained faithful to the Lord, and he did what was right. Next, he chose faithfulness over freedom. He was willing to give up his position, his wealth, and his power, but he was not willing to give up his commitment to the Lord. He chose love over life. He was willing to sacrifice his very life because he loved the Lord more than he loved himself. He chose character over comfort. You see, Daniel was willing to die before he would sacrifice his character. He was determined to stand up for what was right simply because it was right. He was determined to stand for the Lord regardless of the consequences. Daniel was determined to remain faithful whatever the cost. And for someone in Daniel's situation, that could have been very high. The bottom line is that God, Daniel chose faithfulness to God over everything else, even in the face of death. And yet a lot of folks in our day make excuses as to why they can't live for him or serve him. Think about how different the church, and when I say the church, I mean with a capital C. Think about how different the church would be today if church members had the same kind of commitment to the things of God that Daniel had. If we are not careful, we can allow everything else in the world to come between us and our faithfulness to the Lord. For many folks, in fact, I'm just going to step out and say for most folks, attending church has become an optional activity. It's inconvenient. Tell that to Daniel. Because I'm pretty sure getting thrown into a lion's den will mess up your schedule. That's just me. Most Christians don't pray like they should. A lot of Christians, maybe many or most Christians, don't read their Bible every day, if at all. Most do not witness. While studies show that 80% of people would come to church if they were invited by a friend or a family member. They also believe that an overwhelming, overwhelmingly that Christians should get out and invite people and share the gospel. And in spite of that, it's only a small percentage of people that will ever go do it. Well, it's inconvenient. What the church needs today is some Daniels. Men and women who were settled for nothing less than absolute obedience. 
to the will of God for their lives. The fact is, far too many times we give up, we give in, and quit far too easily when faced with opposition or even inconvenience. If we can't stand up and be faithful to God, is there any chance that we would stand if our enemies came after us like they did with Daniel? Ask yourself this question and be honest. If I was faced with Daniel's dilemma, what would I do? If we can't even suffer the inconvenience of coming to church a couple hours a week, faithfully given of our resources, is there any chance that we could be counted among the faithful Christians who would rather die than dishonor God? We've looked at Daniel's character, Daniel's choices. Now I want us to look at Daniel's challenge. When Daniel's enemies saw him praying before the Lord, they immediately went to the king. He knew that was going to happen. They made up this plan, and they knew that Daniel would pray, and they sat around, and I, I, I bet half of them stood down at the bottom on the sidewalk down under Daniel's house just waiting. Here he comes. Here he comes. And about three words into his first prayer, they were running as fast as they could run to the palace. And when they got there, they demanded that the king honor the law of the land. You see, the king had no, no choice but to honor what he had signed. Once it was signed, once it was sealed with that wax and the ring, it had to be that way. And the king liked Daniel. And technically, Daniel's enemies were right. He certainly was guilty of breaking their silly, foolish laws. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. At that point, the king realized he had made a mistake, but he couldn't do anything about it. He regretted signing the law and labored all day up until sundown to find a loophole to save Daniel from death, and he couldn't find anything. You see, the fact is that while Daniel broke the law of the king, he did not break the law of the Lord. Daniel had done what the Lord commanded, even when it contradicted what the government demanded. And I will tell you, we might face that same dilemma at some point in the future. But just to be clear, I'm not calling for us to take up arms and march to Washington and be all crazy. It's not what I'm saying. Romans 13 teaches us to obey the rules of the land and obey those who have rule over us. But let me add that if and when those laws directly contradict God's laws, we must, as Daniel did, do what God says regardless of the consequences. I'll be a secret agent Christian. There's no such thing. I'll be undercover. There's no such thing. We read verses 15 and 16 that Daniel was taken and cast into a lion's den. 
This was a, a, a big chamber underneath the ground. And these lions sometimes were, were not fed properly so that when they were given somebody to eat, they would gladly do that. And everyone thought for certain that Daniel was a dead man because no one entered the lion's den and came through it. The lions didn't care if their victim was a preacher or a pagan. They were hungry, and they ate anyone that got thrown in there. It's interesting to note in verse 16, it seems that the king had some confidence in Daniel's God. Because as they were taking Daniel off to the lion's den, the king yells to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. He had more faith than a lot of people today do that call themselves Christians. We should live our, see, I just went right past that. We should live the kind of lives that touch the people who live around us. Daniel's life of faithfulness touched a king. He wasn't a, he wasn't a believer. He probably wasn't even really a very good man. He was a pagan. He worshiped multiple idols. But still, he knew there's something about this Daniel guy, something that's different. And if he is willing to die, then maybe what he has is real. And whether it's a pagan king, our neighbor, or somebody at the grocery store, our faith in our actions that are produced by that faith should ring true and point folks to the Lord. Whether they believe in or love God, or whether they don't, they should know that we do. And they should be able to see his hand working in our lives. So we saw Daniel's character, Daniel's choices, Daniel's challenges, and finally I want us to look at Daniel's conquest. After Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, Darius returns back to the palace. And there he is this king over the most powerful nation in the entire world, surrounded by wealth, surrounded by, by servants, all the finery of a palace, and he goes through the entire night in fear. This guy, Daniel, he's going to die. No doubt he is consumed by guilt over his own foolishness. No doubt he is angry at those who tricked him into doing what he ended up doing to Daniel. And he wrestles with sleep until dawn. And then as soon as the sun comes up, he races down to the opening of the lion's den to check on Daniel. And with a trembling voice, his voice calls out in fear. He calls out to Daniel, hoping against hope that Daniel has somehow managed to survive the night. What does Daniel do? Oh, I like this. Mm. Instead of responding with anger, Daniel responds with a testimony. He doesn't get mad and say, how dare you come over here and talk to me after what you did to me? No, that's not what he did. He lets Darius know that God had sent an angel, and the angel had shut the mouths of the lion in order to protect him all through the night. Daniel attributed God's gracious protection to the fact that he was an innocent man. 
An incredible, seemingly impossible miracle has taken place. Daniel, with the supernatural help of God, has survived a night in the lion's den. So what happened? As a result of Daniel's faithfulness and the events that took place, we see that King Darius is just overwhelmed. He makes a decree that exalts the name of the Lord God Almighty. He commands everyone in the kingdom to bow to the God of Daniel. How about that? He declares Daniel's God to be the living God, a God of power and glory, possessing an eternal kingdom. And this chapter ends with Daniel continuing to prosper in the kingdom of King Darius. The guys that formed the plot against Daniel, it didn't end so well, so we won't go into all that. So what does Daniel's story mean to us today? It's actually quite simple. God honors faithfulness. You could take the whole story of Daniel's life from the time he was a teenager all the way up to the time they pulled him up out of that lion's den and you would see a theme that runs through his entire life and that is that God honors faithfulness. Because Daniel remained faithful to God, even to the point of death, God was with him and delivered him from his enemies and from the power of those lions. You see, Daniel didn't succeed just because he was Jewish. He didn't succeed because he got a really sweet job working with the king. He didn't succeed because he called himself one thing and then lived as something else. He didn't succeed because he served God when it was convenient or when he had nothing better to do. No, Daniel succeeded because he was faithful to the Lord. And as a result, God gave him victory over the things that came against him because he was faithful. So many times when you hear this, this story of Daniel and the lion's den preached, and it's true, but a lot of times it goes in a little bit diff different direction, and the, the sermon ends up with, with somebody just getting all excited about God's faithfulness. And it's true, God was faithful. And I want us to remember that. But the other thing I want us to remember is Daniel was faithful to God. God was faithful to Daniel because Daniel was faithful to God. We love God being faithful to us. Not so much us being faithful to him. We may never face a den of lions. We may never be thrown into a, a, a burning furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we might face some trials that other saints of God have been called on to endure. There might be times of sickness, times of sorrow, distress, persecution, death, and hardship. And through it all, the Lord simply demands that we are faithful. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that once we're saved, all of our troubles go away. In fact, it says just the opposite in John 16, it says, I have told you these things 
so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. If it ended there, it wouldn't be very encouraging. But it doesn't end there. Look what the rest of the verse says. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. Matthew 28.20 tells us that God is with us always, even to the end of the age. 2 Corinthians lets us know that God's grace is sufficient for us. No matter what we need, he is able to provide. And according to Philippians 4.13, God will meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So yeah, the lions might come. But God is still in control. The lions might come. People might turn against us, and we might suffer some setbacks because of being faithful. But overall, we can count on one thing. God is faithful, and God will honor our faithfulness. There's so much more that God has promised to do for us because he loves us because we're his people. And all he asks for us to do is to be faithful. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You see, faithful is not just important. It's a requirement. Maybe there are some things that you and I can't do. But there is one thing that we can all do. And that is to be faithful and to be found faithful. We can be faithful to the Lord who has redeemed us. We can be faithful to do the task that he has called us to do. We can be faithful to pray, faithful to read his word. We can be faithful to witness. We can be a faithful. We can be faithful to attend the house of the Lord. There might be some things we can't do. But we can all be faithful to those things that we can do. Since I spent 37 years in the car business, let me use a car analogy here in closing. Okay? I don't feel like God has called me to be a Ferrari Christian. The glitz and glamour kind of Christian. Maybe he called you to be that, and that's fine. But I truly don't believe that that is my calling. So I'll probably never, never be famous. And you know what? That's okay. I believe he simply called me to be more of a Crown Victoria Christian. <laughs> or Crown Vic, as we called it in the car business. Reliable and steady. We sold a lot of these cars, and here's why. You could look at somebody and tell them, this is probably one of the most dependable cars you could ever own. I don't have one for sale, so don't get sprayed. That's why they use them for taxi cabs. That's why they use them for police cars. That's why they use them for all kinds of different things. And they put miles, you know, two, 300,000 miles on them. And they just keep going and going because they're reliable. God has called me to be faithful. He has called me to start when he turns the key and to get the job done day in and day out. 
And I know for sure that God has called me, but he has called all of us to be faithful, to be reliable. That when he turns the key, we start and we do what he's called us to do. Listen to this. Daniel made a difference because he was faithful. We too can make a difference if we are faithful. Let me say that again. Daniel made a difference because he was faithful. We too can make a difference if we are faithful. If your faithfulness touches even one life, and they come to Christ as a result, it has been worth being found faithful. If your children and their children grow up to be faithful crown vicks in the kingdom of God, your faithfulness had been repaid over and over and over. If another brother or sister in Christ is challenged by your faithfulness, and becomes more faithful to the Lord as a result, then your faithfulness has been worth it all. One thing I know for sure, no one is inspired by unreliability or unfaithfulness. Let me say this to many of you who are so faithful in many things here at High Point Church. From my heart, I say thank you we as a church do so many things so well. Pastor Greg and I were talking the other night and I told him this that I felt like I feel like the Lord has really spoken to me recently about this. As well as we do some things, we can do better. All of us. If you are doing everything that you can possibly do, and there are a few folks who are. Then for just the next few seconds, I want you to just stick your fingers in your ear, not paying attention to what I'm saying. If you're not doing everything that you could do, then I would ask you, why not? Each of us needs to examine our heart and ask ourselves a couple of things and answer honestly. Can I honestly say that I am faithful to the Lord, to his will, and to his work? Or has living for the Lord become a hobby? Something that I do when it's convenient or when I don't have other plans? Secondly, is there room for improvement? Thirdly, am I ready to become a Daniel and be faithful to the Lord? even to death. And one final question, the most important of all, do you know without a doubt today that you are saved? Some folks will say, Pastor, that was just not what I came here to hear today. Well, All I can say is this. I believe God knew who would be here today. He didn't make a mistake. You're not here by mistake. 
I believe this is the word that God has given me today. I didn't just write a few things down this morning. This is something that I have toiled over for months. But this week, without a doubt, I felt like God said to me, now it's time. And so I'm asking us today, are we faithful? Do we examine everything that we do? Do we examine everything in our life through the lens of Matthew 6.33 that says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you? Or do we do the way that most people do and say, I'm going to go live my life and do my stuff, and then if I have time, extra time, if I'm not too tired, if I'm not too busy, then I'll, I'll, I'll offer the Lord a little bit of what's left over. It's not what the Bible says. If we will put him first, he will take care of all the other things. I don't believe that passage of Scripture is in the Bible by mistake. You see, I want us to all become everything that God wants us to be. And I know that we can, but we cannot become that if we are not faithful. If you are someone who, who exercises and you're a weightlifter, you will not get anywhere if you do it every couple weeks when you have a little free time. I'll just run out there and, and just for about five minutes, I'll just lift a little weights. And then three or four weeks later, I'll just run. No, it takes faithfulness. It takes sacrifice. It takes doing it when you don't feel it. It takes doing it when you don't want to. Because it takes faithfulness to get what we say we want. I'll also tell you this as far as exercise goes. The longer you stay away from it, the easier it gets to stay away from it. And the longer that you're not faithful to God, the easier it will be to remain unfaithful to God. Could we make a commitment today? Lord, I want you to find me faithful. Speak to my heart. If there is something in my heart that shouldn't be there, if I'm doing things that I shouldn't do, help me to get rid of them. The other side of that is, if I'm not doing things I should be doing, then Lord, I need you to help me to do them. Would you stand this morning as we sing?